It doesn't say a God of truth sometimes. He is a God of truth. That's his character. That's his behavior. That's his conduct and practice to be a God of truth. <clears throat> Note uh, number four that as you can see, observe, we are dealing with the same kind of descriptive terms as quantity and quality of the character and behavior of our God in the Psalms. We read in Psalms 119, 142, your law is truth. By the way, the word law there includes all of the Old Testament writings. Not only the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, but also the history books, the Psalms, and the prophets. It's all part of God's law for us. It's not just the law in being the Ten Commandments. Okay? So the law is truth. Again, in Psalm 119, 160, the entirety of your word is true. There's no part of it that is not true, except those parts that we've changed the meaning of the words to. And guess what? We have to compare Scripture with Scripture to discover which those are. You know, it's like I heard one time years ago that if you wanted to discover how to find a fake $20 bill, the way that you do it is learn what a proper $20 bill looks like. If you have a standard by which you can compare other things, you can immediately see the difference between what is fake and what is true. Well, words have meaning. They convey a thought. My friend up north uh, says that words are in a box and that the words in the box, as you begin to take them out and look at them, they all have a meaning and a purpose in being there. You can take a word out of that box, like truth, and immediately you begin to see that truth means no lies. Truth means no deceit. Truth means no uh, possibility of defraud or of uh, uh, stretching the truth or being a white lie or anything like that. That may be man's understanding of what truth is, but it's not God's understanding. So it's very important that we understand what God is saying. Second, note that in the New Testament scriptures, Jesus Christ combines these two Old Testament thoughts into one simple statement, John 17, 17 through 19. Sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. Sanctify them by your truth. This is Christ's high priestly prayer in John 17. By your truth, he's preaching to the, he's praying to the Father. Sanctify them, set them apart, make them different, show that they are not like the rest of the world by your truth. And where do we find truth? Where do we find God's truth? Your word, God's holy inspired word, is truth. Now that should not be hard for any of us to see and interpret and understand. And it's up to us to find that truth, to discover that truth. 
and to say, I'm going to live by this truth because I want to be uh, pleasing in the sight of God. So you can see uh, it's quite interesting the way that the scriptures proclaim it. John 17, 17 through 19, again, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctified, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the one truth. The Old Testament, or excuse me, the New Testament uh, definite article, the, always has connected with that the number one. There's not the truth that is somebody's truth. There's the one truth that God has given us. That's another one of those little, uh, what would you call it? I guess difficult things that people are not willing to say. Whenever you see the word the God, it is the one God. Whenever you see uh, the gospel, it is the one gospel. There's not a bunch of them. Does that help maybe define why Christ is so careful to declare his gospel time and time again? Because it does, he doesn't want us to think that there's many ways to heaven, but only one. I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. He's the only way. He's the only truth. We need to get that into our heads and understand what it is declaring. One, note that it is the Spirit of God that sanctifies us and causes us to grow in knowledge and grace, of, uh, to grow in the knowledge and grace of God. Uh, this morning, uh, Brother Doug was teaching us, and, you know, we were talking about how we wish that God could just kind of pour it out on us and we would instantly know everything, you know, so that we didn't have to work at it. We would just know it. You don't have to study and learn. You just know it. And you don't have to pray about it. God just pours it on us and we have everything. We have all knowledge. We have all ability. No, that's not the way it is. We're supposed to grow in knowledge and grace in the things of God. And that means that we start out not knowing and slowly we develop a position and a place of understanding so that we can serve our God to the best of our ability. Do you really think that I've been as mean-spirited and as ornery this way all of my life? There was a time when I was just like everybody else who was a Christian. And thought that the pastor had to know what he was talking about. After all, he was the pastor. And thought that my Bible had to know what it was talking about. After all, the word was inspired. And had to know that my Christian training in, in seminary must have been right because they were all godly men. But I found out through the years that some of the things that they taught me were not right. And I found out through the years that not everything that is declared that says Holy Bible on it is necessarily true. And like Doug, I found out a long time ago that commentaries only tell you the easy things. They don't give you the answers to the difficult things. 
So we need to get in God's book, comparing scripture with scripture, so that we can discover what God says is true and not think that we have learned something when we've read a book by a man who explains the book, the one book, the one truth of God. Now, there's nothing wrong with reading books. They, they, they help foster our mental growth and our maturity as Christians. As long as you don't start quoting men. If you want to quote something, quote God. Find it in the Bible and believe it. If God said it, that's good enough for me, and let's learn to trust what he declares and not what man has said. Okay, let's see here. Note that it is the Spirit of God that sanctifies us and causes us to grow in the knowledge and grace of God. 1 John 5, 6 and 8, This is he who comes by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. So he's emphasizing that fact, okay? And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. God is truth, Christ is truth, and the Spirit is truth. If you stick with those three, I guess you won't have to worry too much about what men say is truth. There's, there, there's wonderful understanding in the comparison of scripture with scripture if the spirit is true and christ is true and god is true what's true what god has declared in his word for these are for there are three that bear witness in heaven the father and the word that's christ capital w-o-r-d the eternal word and the holy spirit and these three are one well, think about that. There's that word, one. What, what does one mean? They, they don't have a diversity of opinion. They have a single truth that they live by and a single reality that they practice and do. God doesn't do one thing. God the Father doesn't do one thing. And Jesus Christ does something else. And the Holy Spirit comes along and messes both of them up. That's not how it works. If we can trust God the Father, and we should, then we can trust Jesus Christ, and we most certainly should, because he is the last giver of truth to mankind. And the Holy Spirit has been given the authority and the, the responsibility to teach us the truth of Christ. He will teach you all things concerning me. That's what Jesus said. Do you believe that? Well, if somebody says that they believe this about Jesus Christ or that about Jesus Christ, and it doesn't fit what the scriptures are saying, guess what? That can't be. That cannot be. It's not possible. It's a lie. It's a lie. And so we have to be defined by what the scripture declares, too. Note that from this text, we learn that what sets us apart from the world, that's that word sanctification, and its wicked influence upon mankind is that we are made separate, distinct, and different from the world by the eternal, uh, eternally established and declared truth of God. 
What makes you as an individual Christian different from the rest of others is your desire to be a teller of truth and not a twister of truth. We need to be tellers, declares of the truth. Not twisters of it, but declares of it. If there's any doubt, we have to rely upon God, not upon us. There are a lot of verses. I have a, a Christian friend that asked me one time about the second coming. and He wanted to know all about the millennium. And I said, I can't give you an answer on that. He said, well, why not? And I said, well, I'm kind of like John Riesinger. You know, he said, I was an amillennialist, I was a premillennialist, and I was a postmillennialist. He says, now I'm a panmillennialist because he says, I don't know which one is right. So a panmillennialist is just one who says, it'll all pan out in the end. And, you know, there's a great deal of wisdom in that reality. There are certain things that we can know, and there are others that we cannot know without God revealing them to us. And so far, he's not chosen to do that. Do you know the day when Christ is coming? You know, there's millions of Christians that say they do know the day. And the scriptures plainly says that no one can know the day or the hour. Let that think in, sink in a th uh, second. Can't my, my teeth is getting in front of my eye teeth or something here. It's not working. Two, note that we can uh, learn that what sets us apart from the world and its wicked influence upon mankind is that we are made separate, distinct, and different from the world by the eternally established and declared truth of God. Your word, O Lord, is truth. I added the O Lord in there. Your word is truth. Listen to King David's prayer. 2 Samuel 7, 28. And now, O Jehovah God, it would have said, O Lord, in my New King James, you are God and your words are true. And you have promised this goodness to your servant. Wonderful thought, isn't it? Three, note that Jehovah God's truth is what causes us to be identified with God, the eternal God of all creation, of all things. As he is a God of truth, so we too must be known as men who speak God truth. It's, it's not man's truth and God's truth that we can combine. There's only one truth that to us as Christians, should, that should matter. We need to speak God truth. We don't have to say that it is God's truth as if he belongs to it and he owns it. <clears throat> Sorry. It was close. Or that he has declared it, we need to speak God truth. Plain and simple. Third, note that Jesus Christ declared to the disciples this about his authority, power, and the quality of his message and ministry before all men. John 14, 6. I am the one way, the one truth, and the one life. What kind of life do you have? 
I know you're sitting here. I know you're breathing. I know your heart is pumping. Is that the kind of life you have? Or do you have a different life than that? Do you have a spiritual life because you have been born again? When Jesus said, I am the one life, he's the giver of life to all people. But especially those who are God's people. He gives us spiritual life that is eternal life, not a life that is the temporary existence on earth that when we get old enough, we die from something, you know, all of us will. And that's not the kind of life that it's talking about. If you want to have eternal life, like the rich young ruler asked for, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have eternal life? That's the kind of question most of us are looking for. God's eternal life is given to us by him. It is his kind of life whom he has given to his son, whom his son will give to us because God has chosen to shed his abundant grace and mercy upon us. Not because we deserve it, because we can simply proclaim the reality of what the scriptures declare. He loves me. It's not because you're lovable. It's because he is God. <coughs> Note that this declaration is that there is only one truth as found in God and therefore in his word. Note that this is an essential aspect of our witness and conduct as saints of the Most High God. Our witness and our conduct. Do, are you, does, your, does your conduct display the truth of God in the way that you live as a Christian? What about as you witness to others? You hear people who witness and say, well, you need to trust Christ as your Savior. Well, are you trusting God by telling the truth? That was what Abraham's problem was. God says, I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I promise that your heritage will be blessed. And yet, what do we find? We find that the first little trouble that came along because Sarah looked so good, he was afraid that men would kill him and that they would uh, take Sarah away from him. You know, he's dead. They might as well, she might as well marry somebody else. Is, was Sarah God's child or Abraham's wife? Didn't the blessing upon Abraham also extend to his wife, Sarah? And why? Because she was going to be the one who bore the promised seed who eventually became Jesus Christ, our Savior and Messiah. See, we're so short-sighted often that we, we confuse the situation with what God has clearly declared. There was no reason for Abraham to fear what men would do to him because God was on his side. He had told him at least three or four times that I can think of how that he would provide for Abraham in all things. And yet here's Abraham. Oh, they're going to kill me. You know, Sarah looks so good, they won't want me to be around. Isaac did the same thing. 
Isaac. Where do you suppose that Isaac got that in idea from? Maybe a father who was so great at being faithful in so many ways and yet so unfaithful in other ways. If you can trust God with a little bit, you ought to be able to trust God with a lot. Sometimes our faith isn't challenged to the point where we are willing to trust him with the bigger things in life. And so we become fearful. <coughs> and like all humans, we think that lying would be a way to get us away from danger or a particular kind of, uh, you know, sacrifice for ourselves. <clears throat> Forgive me. Fourth, note that godly truth is only defined by what truth is found in God. One note that this truth is in the original Greek manuscript is Strong's number uh, 225. This Greek word is aletheia. Sorry for my tongue-tied issues. Aletheia. This biblical meaning is simply true, truly, truth, or real. However, this Greek word, aletheia, is taken from a root word that has a compound meaning. Strong's number 227, which is very close to 225, if you remember the first one I gave you, which is alethis, alethis <laughs> that has a um, uh, alethes from New Testament 1, spoken as a negative particle, and New Testament 229 as true. In contrast, not being concealed, hidden, or deceiving. So not being those things. This is, this is a little hard to explain, but I pray that you hear with both ears because it's wonderful once you understand it. So you have this negative particle, and the understanding of that is that it begins what this word truth is. A... And then whatever the word is, that prefix A means not or means no. It's a negative particle added to the word to make it a compound word. Note that the Greek use of, of New Testament number one is, not, uh, is actually the first letter in the Greek alphabet, alpha, which designation is actually a Hebrew letter meaning first. You wonder where the Greeks got it from? It comes from the Hebrew. Now, Revelation 1.8. I am Alpha and Omega. Anybody know what that means, Alpha and Omega? It tells you in the next part of the sentence. The first and the last. I am the first and the last. Okay, Alpha. Supreme Master, says the Lord. Now, the, the New Testament word Lord means supreme master. It's not like the Old Testament where it's speaking of Jehovah God. Let me find my notes here. Three. Uh, nope. Wrong one. I am Alpha and Omega. 
who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Yet there is more to the meaning of this letter A in the Greek language. Note that the A in the Greek language is, a declare, is declared as a negative particle, meaning that any word that begins with this designation of A or A as a prefix such as millennial means no millennium. How many have heard of that word millennial? I mentioned just a little while ago. millennial means no millennium. But there are other words, and you think I could think of any? There are other words that use that prefix, and I just could not come up with anything that was uh, uh, reasonable at the time. So if you know some, uh, speak to me afterwards, and I'll try to write them down so I don't forget again. Anyhow, anyhow why this is so important to define and understand the word truth is the fact that what defines the meaning of it is derived from its opposite. The word truth comes from what is opposite of truth. The def definition and the understanding of what truth is is found in what is declared to be opposite of truth. Now, that ought to be a dead giveaway for some of us to think about where that is coming from and what it means. But we'll get into it here. <coughs> like the Ten Commandments, God's truth is defined as any concept of human character that does not declare God, the godly truth. Okay? Any character of humankind that does not declare godly truth. Fifth, note that the Ten Commandments are written in the same negative manner. It's not just a New Testament issue. It is an Old Testament issue, too. You shall not have uh, other gods before me. You shall not commit adultery. See, that's not positive. That's called negative statements. Okay? You shall not steal. You shall not lie. How many more? There's 10 of them. 10 suggestions. Is that what they are? Or are they commandments? 10 commandments. And yet, how many of us really try to practice our faith that way? But it's written in a negative sense. Do you know why? Anybody got an idea of why it would be written that way? Because if God was to tell us all the things that we're supposed to do to live properly before him, we would have Ten Commandments on about 40 or 50 books. Because in God's eyes, if you do not steal in order to be somebody who is right in God's eyes, you have to be someone who does everything that he can do to earn a living for himself, to provide for his family, and to be sure that you have enough left over to share with others. Jesus teaches this in the New Testament. Paul also goes on to expand that thought, you know, to open up our minds to the fact of what God is intending for us that we are to provide for our families, and if we do not, he says that we're worse than an unbeliever, worse than an infidel, worse than a pagan, 
God wants us to be people who work and provide for our families, not steal to provide for our families. Anyhow, that's why. I, I hope that makes sense to you. <coughs> Note that this is a, uh, stated, that this is stated in a, a positive way when we say that we will do all that is humanly possible to promote the name and the character of God. That's how you're supposed to understand the Ten Commandments. That whatever it has declared in a negative sense, we're supposed to do in a positive sense all that we can possibly humanly do to sustain and promote what God declares we should live like. And where do we find that? In his word. His word is truth. Just that simple. Two. Note that, for example, we often state that God is light, but such truth about God is revealed, expressed, and defined in that the scriptures witness the truth of his holy name and nature. 1 John 1, 5 through 7, this is the message which we have heard from him, Jesus Christ, and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, walk in a lie, live in a lie, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, not our kind of light, not talking about Detroit Edison or whatever the power company, consumers power or whatever it is anymore, but if we walk in spiritual light, as he is in spiritual light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Three, note that another case in point is found in the book of James. James 1, 17 and 18, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. I'm not sure that's a good translation, but anyhow, we'll go with it. With whom there is no variable or shadow of turning. We can explain that in a minute. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Isn't that interesting? He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his uh, creatures. Spiritual children. That's what God has been looking for, and that's what God is making of us. He's making all of us as true Christians spiritual children. Those who are not God's spiritual children are Satan's children. By their nature and by their character. Wow. In this First John passage, God is described as being totally and completely unique from all other forms of his creation. Note that with God there is no shadow, for he is, his eternal essence, light, spiritual light. God alone is the source and substance in his name and nature and in his holy presence, for he is only 
uh, for he only illuminates, enlightens, and reveals all that is around him. Therefore, there cannot be any shadow, diffusion of light or darkness in his presence. There's no shadow with God. God emits light from his being. He's not getting light from some other source, from an external source. When we walk out here in the sunshine, uh, we can tell we're still humans because we got a shadow. And that shadow follows us no matter where we go. But it's saying of God that he is light. That's the essence of his being. And there's no shadow. He can turn around like this and not see a shadow anywhere. There's no shadow with God. God is complete and perfect light. Spiritual light. Wow. Isaiah uh, 6, verse 1 through 4. That's the declaration about uh, how Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he saw that his train filled his, his essence, his beauty, his uh, stupendous brightness filled the temple with his presence. And uh, that's, the, that's what uh, John makes reference to in the New Testament. That Isaiah, Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord. That's what it's speaking about. Um, so that's, it's just marvelous when you begin to look at what it all conveys. Isaiah 6, uh, verses 1 through 4. Jehovah God's holy train of glory filled the temple with his infinite, eternal splendor, radiance, and afterglow. Now, the Jews call this specific holy kind of light God's Shekinah glory, which if you try to find that in the Bible, you won't find it. If you try looking it up in Strong's, you won't find it. It's not there. It is a man-conceived idea of God's glory. It speaks of something that we cannot know about. All we can do is try to describe it. Well, the Jews gave it a name, Shekinah glory. I don't know what it means, and I don't think anybody else knows what it means. But you can, you can tell what it is when you see it. Wow, what marvelous stuff. His Shekinah glory with glorious light reflects his purity, holiness, and eternal character as being God. Number two, know how to know the truth. Well, we'll see what we can do to get through this. I only have three points, but I'm running quite a ways behind. First, note that godly truth, as it is declared in Scripture, is defined as a neg in a negative manner. The opposite of godly truth is all falsehood, deceit, lies, and deception. Let me say it one more time so you catch what is going on here. Remember what we're talking about, how that uh, the truth of God is known by the negative side of man. Okay? The opposite of godly truth is all falsehood, deceit, and lies, and deception. Number one, note how the Bible speaks of man's bent on lying and deception. Numbers 23.19 declares, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. 
Uh, some of the older translations, I have a New King James, use the word repent instead of change. The word is better translated as change, okay? Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? In other words, what God tells us has got to be true. It's got to be the truth because he is God. Number two, note what the scripture declares of Satan's eternal character uh, versus Almighty God's eternal character. John 8, 44, Jesus said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees of his day, he said, you are of your father the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. Do you know what the name devil means? It's not a, a forked tail or whatever it is, a pointed tail and, a, and a horns on his head and a red suit. That's, that's not what the word devil means. It means deceiver. The word Satan has a totally different idea. The name Satan means destroyer. One's called a deceiver and the other he's called a destroyer because those are the two things that he loves to do. That's his character, his nature, and his conduct. Can you say those three things? Character, nature, and conduct. What would somebody say about your character and your nature and your conduct? Well, that's what it's declaring about God. Two, note that the scripture declares of Satan's eternal character versus Almighty God's eternal character, John 8, 44, that he is that there is no truth in him, and when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, his character and nature, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. It doesn't say that about God. It says it about Satan. It says it about the devil. And so we are able to understand God's truth in relationship to Satan's lying, deceiving behavior. That's how we know what truth is. It is God's truth, and it is different from Satan's conduct and behavior. Three, note that there is a specific character which is displayed by all who are not born of God. Those with a new birth, a spiritual birth given from above, this evil character which is found in the unregenerate man is called lying, deception, and deceit. Now, isn't it interesting that the world is known as being liars and deceivers, and they practice deceit in almost everything? I'm not talking about your wife, and I'm not talking about your husband. I'm talking about all of us. Before we were God's child, I remember when I was a kid, I told so many lies that my parents wouldn't believe me when I told them the truth. And that changed my opinion of what I should do with my life. And as an early young uh, person, I found myself confronted with the reality that if I was going to have respect 
and be believed by others, I had to learn to tell the truth in everything. And so I strive to do that, even before I was a Christian. Thank you, Lord. A, note that to this great evil, the word of God rightly declares that Satan and the devil are the initial source and the initiator of all lying and lies and types of falsehood. Revelation 12, 9, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil, and Satan is talking about the serpent in the garden, who deceived Eve, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. B, note that this great wickedness was positioned and portrayed as coming from an unregenerate soul, speaking of a soul without any God consciousness or discernment. Second Thessalonians 2 verses 8 through 12 we read there of Satan, then the lawless one, you know, the lawless one, what does that say in your mind? What does that teach you about the character of Satan and the devil? They don't believe in any law but their own, one that they make up of their own self. They don't believe in God's law and they certainly don't want to practice anything that God would have them to do. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness the epiphany of his coming. The coming of the lawless one, in accordance to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and... The third thing, sorry for the fumbleness, well, how did you find truth? I'm going the wrong way. Give me a moment here. Ah, okay. All power, signs, and lying wonders. Lying wonders. Does Satan have power? Yes. Can he do things that will baffle our mind and will make us wonder whether or not he's really God or not? Yes. And the scriptures clearly declare that if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit and the coming of Christ, that many of the elect would be deceived by what Satan is able to do. Now, that's pretty powerful stuff. And it's up to you and I to have spiritual discernment because we know the word of God to be able to tell the difference between a good $20 bill and a fake $20 bill. Between a godly conduct and behavior and that of satanic deception for his lying and his uh, character and behavior. And with all unrighteousness, uh, with, excuse me, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, that is, those who are dying and going on to hell, Christians don't perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the godly truth uh, I added the word godly there 
but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Isn't that fascinating? So no matter what you try to do to deceive us as Christians, we can tell whether or not they are true and whether or not they are practicing the truth by the way they live their lives. Their lives, excuse me, lies too, but the way they live their lives. So it's, it's through their conduct and behavior that we can discover what they're really like. See, note that those who belong to Christ, our Lord, are not to lie or to be liars and deceivers in any way. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, deception, nor handling, manipulating the word of God deceitfully, but by manif uh, manifestation of making known or revealed the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Hidden things of shame. Are you ever ashamed of anything you do? What if you live that way all along, all the time? Walking in craftiness, you're always trying to put a spin on things, you're, you know. You're always trying to twist it so that it sounds good to those that you're talking to. How do they know the difference? I'm the one that's saying it. And handling the word of God deceitfully. You think that is not happening today? There are those who know better, but yet they choose not to do it because it doesn't fit with what others that are around them practice and do. If we know a truth, dear saint, you and I are subject to the truth of God and we must learn to be truthful as he has proclaimed that truth to be known. Our conduct and our behavior reveal who we are even as it does the same with Satan. I'll close there because it's uh, one minute past 12. I hope and pray that this has been a blessing to you. Um, discovering the truth and knowing the truth and practicing the truth are what we as God's children should be about. And I pray that if you're sitting here today and you are not a, God, a child of God, that you will think about that. That God is not declaring these things in his word to hurt you, but to bring you into his presence so that we can eternally live with a God of truth. Only person who knows whether you're lying about things or not is you and God. He knows. So I pray that you'd be challenged and say, Lord, save my soul so that I'm not a liar. Save them my soul so that I'm not deceitful. Save my soul so that I'm not always twisting things in my mind to make it reasonable to me. Accept the truth of God as he declares it and practice it as your own. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Thank <laughs> you.
We don't have to sing a song. I'm already too late. We need to make uh, shorter sermons or longer uh, time of uh, worship. Ken, it's really wonderful having you with us today. Would you mind praying? Um, Brother Phil, would you mind calling uh, uh, Julie Rose and letting her know that we're having services tonight? And everybody be here at 6. We'll see you then. Bring lots of food. <laughs> <laughs>